How long will product shortages and delays be with us? The U.S. House addresses problems with ocean shipping. And logistics activity continues to grow in November. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Routing and Scheduling delivers the most advanced transportation management systems to world-leading brands, helping to streamline daily operational processes, including route planning and proof of delivery. If you're ready to make savings of up to 30% and unlock the value of your transportation operation, Aptian can help. Visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, we've all been hearing about the product shortages and supply chain bottlenecks, but what are the main causes of these shortages and how long will these problems be with us? To discuss more on this, I spoke earlier this week with Professor Glenn Ritchie. He's the Raymond J. Halbert Eminent Scholar and Chair of the Department of Supply Chain Management in Auburn University's Harvard School of Business. Here now is our conversation. Welcome, Glenn. Thanks for being with us on Logistics Matters. Thanks very much for having me, Dave. We're going to talk today about the supply chain shortages that we're all seeing and have experienced. We've written about this quite a bit in the magazine. And, you know, some of the things that we've talked about are some of the problems with bottlenecks in supply chains, manufacturing delays, port congestion. But what do you think are the major problems for why we do have a, a shortage of supply right now? Yeah, David, there are a lot of issues out there. And it's obviously a very complex and dynamic situation. And, and certainly y'all have written on it uh, a good bit uh, over the last 18 months. So uh, you've been very informative for me, too. Um, the, the interesting thing here is that there are problems kind of across the entire system. And, you know, over, over uh, the last couple of years or, or maybe even longer than that, I've been doing some writing, kind of looking on the past focuses of, of what we've been trying to do in supply chain management. And one of the things that you'll see as you kind of dig through the history of what we've done uh, in global trade is that the supply chain has been very much focused on as an area of optimization, a, a necessary evil, uh, an area where uh, cost needs to be driven down as far as possible. And so all of these different touch points across the supply chain that we see having difficulties can pretty much be related to that focus over the long term on efficiency above responsiveness. Uh, the move from um, having some safety stock, using retail locations to work as warehousing for communities and those types of things have tended to go away over the last 20, 25 years. And uh, that adjustment has ended up in putting us in a pretty stressed situation where there's not a lot of contingency planning opportunities and a lot of, not a lot of flexibility, adaptability, or agility left in the system. Uh, it's a place that we put ourselves uh, based on the strategy that we've developed. And now that we've moved to more e-commerce and, and uh, more players and more touches and more complexity, um, we have more opportunities for mistakes to take place. So you're saying basically the leaning of the supply chains, which we've seen the just-in-time and uh, just-in-time manufacturing as well as delivery, um, relying on your suppliers to store your products for you instead of you storing them yourselves, 
not building up those inventories, all those kinds of things which have been considered good practices are really now coming back to bite us. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly right. And of course, cost containment is an important thing. Uh, cost containment is something that uh, that we need to be paying attention to in supply chain and logistics, but we also need to pay attention to the other side. And I kind of feel like the pressure over the last uh, many years and in, in global supply chain management hasn't paid a lot of attention to safety stock, to contingency planning, and to making sure that we can get the product to the customer. Um, you know, the customer is involved in some of this. Uh, their purchasing behavior, whether it be panic buying or, or storing up items and those types of things are, are kind of new behaviors that we're seeing now that maybe we haven't seen as frequently in the past uh, unless there was kind of a major disaster somewhere where people ran out and bought specific items to make sure they had them uh, over a period, uh, uh, you know, of, of stress. Uh, but today, you know, uh, it's difficult to go down to the retailer and buy the thing that you want in your hometown. You pretty much have to do that online. And so uh, in most cases, and so when you do that online, uh, you end up adding a different step to the chain. It used to be you as a customer that would go out and buy the product and provide the last mile delivery. Now, uh, 3 P 3PL providers, FedEx, UPS, uh, local players, and the U.S. Postal Service have to pick up that slack and make sure the product gets there. So. Uh, some of the things that we've done to try to enhance customer service have actually made it more difficult on the supply chain and put us in a position where we can make more mistakes. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Now, this year, we, we had a little bit of warning that some of this was coming. We saw some of this back in the summer. And in fact, we started writing back in September and October and even in August about how the holiday peak shipping season was going to be very difficult and that people were going to experience some product delays, product shortages, and may not be able to get all the things they wanted under their tree. We're encouraging people to shop early this year. Retailers were hoping to spread that out a little bit. Did that kind of strategy work so far? So so that's, that's a really good question where the answer is uh, yes and no. Um, I, I think that I, I, I should point out that, that when, when I started to see issues pop up in the global supply chain relative to, to what we're looking at today, it probably happened during the Trump administration when we were starting to put some tariffs into the marketplace, put tariffs on some of the major countries that do a lot of our manufacturing. And so there were signals in the market that troubles are brewing, uh, especially in the manufacturing and the raw material extraction arenas. Uh, some companies decided to move away from single sourcing at that point. I saw many of those companies go back to single sourcing after the uh, sole sourcing approach became something that was uh, much more cost effective. So, um, so that was kind of an initial issue that was out there that uh, some of us saw, some of us ignored, or some of us moved on and then changed back to old habits. Um, certainly, when you have a lot of boats off the coast of Los Angeles, and we're encouraging people to go buy products that haven't been delivered yet, we probably put ourselves in a pretty difficult situation. And so I've, I, I've seen a number of media outlets and a lot of politicians over the last several months saying, Go buy your stuff now, get your stuff moving. Um, but, you know, that's a tough situation when the product can't make it through the port. Um, and so, you know, the, the idea here of, of being patient as a consumer, being patient with what inventory is available uh, is an important thing. And I will tell you that I've been talking on some different media broadcasts about, you know, this is going to be a great year to give fantastic Valentine's Day presents uh, <laughs> instead of Christmas presents, because we're probably going to have more flexibility uh, as we get to the Valentine's Day uh, time period. Then again, you did point out that, uh, you know, we are seeing some products move. Um, we've seen some of the major retailers really get things going by 
kind of uh, booking in their, their own uh, ocean going freight and that type of thing and securing that, um, still a tough time for, for smaller players, mom and pop businesses uh, and regional players. So, uh, you know, we have to fight through those different things, but certainly there are some products that are landing in the stores and, uh, and that's a really good sign uh, for the holiday shopper. I can tell you, uh, I went by the Walmart here and they have just a fantastic uh, overstock situation of bicycles uh, in the store here. So if you need a bicycle, you can come to Auburn, Alabama. But uh, the reality is there are other product lines that are tough and uh, we're still going to see stockouts in those areas. So technology uh, is one of those things. Anything that has to deal with the chip still will be a problem. Some manufacturers are able to get those inputs, some are not. And I also like to remind people when they go to the grocery store, there are a couple of things at play with the products they don't see on the shelf. One, some of those th things take time to raise uh, <laughs> and to get through the process. Uh, we don't, we don't uh, raise a cow in, in, in two days, uh, butcher it, and then get it to market in two days. Those things have to grow. And so uh, there's time built into a number of the products in that system that they just have to catch back up and make it through. And the other side is packaging. And packaging is a real nightmare situation for a lot of the consumer packaged goods companies right now. Um, finding the inputs to make plastic bottles, uh, to make the right type of packaging, point of purchase displays, and those types of things has been equally difficult, equally as difficult as what manufacturers of OEM products are dealing with today. So if you go in and you're looking for your Powerade or your Gatorade or your barbecue sauce, seasoning sauce, and those types of things, and you don't see the size that you like, it's probably an effect of not being able to get uh, the packaging that the company needs because they're having to trim down to a couple of specific SKUs uh, that the packaging company is willing to provide. So what can be done with this? We can't necessarily just throw people at it because of the labor shortage. We can't necessarily throw automation at it yet because that takes a while to implement. What can be done in the near term? Yeah, that's 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 the tough question and it's it, it's it's the great question too and something that uh, people that do research for the journal that we host, Journal of Business Logistics, uh, really should be asking those questions and, and getting into the discussion. Um, you know, automation is something that you brought up, and it's certainly something that can help us along the way, uh, but it's not an immediate fix, right? And so um, ultimately, we need people to get back to work. We need to pay the salaries that will drive people into these supply chain positions uh, and keep them there for an ex a significant period of time so they can continue to improve become better quality stewards of what we do. Um, and we see challenges there too, David, where uh, you know potentially a truck driver who's been doing a good job in the truck has an opportunity to get a better job at a manufacturer. Now we've got a hole in trucking or uh, an internal IT provider uh, at a major corporation gets hired away um, uh, by Silicon Valley for a substantial pay increase. And those are great things for individuals and we definitely wanna see those things happen, but they can be tough things, especially during peak demand. Uh, for supply chain companies like this. So we've got to get our labor involved. We've got to get our individuals out there in the spots that they need to be. Uh, and we just have to continue to actively recruit. It's a tough labor time. Um, hopefully we're seeing signs of people coming back to work and we'll see some improvement in the first quarter of next year. Yeah, hopefully very soon. So how long do you think these shortages will actually last? You know, that's the, that's the most dangerous question being asked right now. Um, and, and again, it probably deals has to do with uh, you know individual product lines and, and industries. Um, I got asked this question a number of different times, different media outlets, and uh, so I started doing some research into it to see what 
other people were saying that were digging deeply into the research. And it looks like most things are pointing towards the first quarter of, of uh, 2023. Uh, and so that raises some eyebrows, but uh, the reality is, is that you know, getting a product from cradle to grave um, takes time, and it especially takes time in a global marketplace with disruptions that are happening at raw material extraction, manufacturing, shipping, port control, uh, trucking and shipments to retailers, and then last mile delivery. So uh, it'll take a while, but uh, it does seem like things are even starting to move out of uh, uh, southwestern uh, California, uh, and so positive things are on the horizon. Yeah, so it just shows just how complex our supply chains really are. They they really are, and you know sometimes we think about complexity uh, as being a bad word, but uh, you know the reality is if you go talk to a third party logistics provider, complexity is what allows them to to reap benefits of of their services. So they add different tasks, different functions to the inside of their abilities, uh, inside of their facilities, and uh, and those adjustments you know allow them to. Uh, do things that add value for the customer. So complexity is an important thing. Um, we just have to be careful of it uh, on the global stage when transitioning between company and company. We've been talking with Glenn Ritchie, the Raymond J. Harbert Eminent Scholar in Supply Chain Management and also the Chair of the Department of Supply Chain Management at Auburn University. Thank you, Glenn. We really appreciate your time being with us today. Thank you, David. A lot of fun. Appreciate it. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you reported this week on new legislation that has just passed the House of Representatives in Washington and is designed to address some of the many problems with ocean shipping. What more can you tell us? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, headlines have focused for months on supply chain backups and delays, uh, and they're caused by a combination of factors, uh, the, the pandemic, of course, and labor shortages and trucking capacity, a big variety. Uh, various groups have been looking for solutions, both the private sector and also the Biden administration. Uh, they've looked at ways to get those shipping containers out of ports faster, uh, possible penalty fees, stacking containers higher, running the ports 24-7. So this week we learned about the latest attempt to try to find an acceleration for that problem to get those containers moving again. And that's an initiative uh, to upgrade policy at our nation's seaports, and it's a bill in Congress called the Ocean Shipping Reform Act. Uh, that's a bipartisan bill. It's sponsored by both the Democratic and a Republican representative. And on Wednesday night, the House of Representatives passed it uh, by a huge margin, especially in, in these divided times of uh, 364 to 60. So you can <clears throat> see there are obviously a whole lot of folks on both sides behind that one. So now it goes to the Senate which is drafting a parallel bill. That's how these things work. Uh, and if uh, that House passes its version, then Congress would get together and reconcile the two and send the compromise version to the White House. So we don't know what the final version would look like yet, of course. But judging by the House version, uh, it would strengthen the Federal Maritime Commission uh, in terms of its oversight and enforcement authority. That could empower the Federal Maritime Commission to help ease some of those current supply chain challenges. Uh, it could do that, for example, by, uh, according to the senators, uh, by ensuring fairness in ocean carrier contracts, by requiring a new process for detention and demurrage charges, uh, deterring retaliatory and unfair business practices, and examining options for better cargo information sharing. 
with those could be some potentially big changes in the flow of freight, did the logistics industry groups have any reaction to the bill passing? Uh, they sure did. Uh, yep, there, there was a, a flurry of communications after this one passed. Uh, and in fact, one group uh, came out against the bill immediately, uh, and that was the World Shipping Council, which is the trade association for the international container shipping line industry. Uh, and perhaps not surprisingly, they don't want to have this additional oversight. Uh, in a statement, they said that the House had passed the bill, uh, quote, without proper debate or committee processes. Uh, and they said that it's just a political statement of frustration with supply chain challenges that all parties feel and that it wouldn't actually be effective. However, nearly all the other logistics industry groups that we heard from are in favor of the bill. Uh, and that it, it reveals some simmering tensions uh, between the two, between specifically container carriers and those retailers and shippers who are their customers. Uh, so those retailers uh, have long argued that carriers have taken advantage of pandemic conditions uh, to dodge their previous contracts and to charge inflated rates. So for example, uh, RELA, which is the Retail Industry Leaders Association, called the bill, uh, quote, common sense reforms uh, that would work to untangle the supply chain congestion that we've been talking about and remove barriers to the movement of goods. So RELA said uh, that increased consolidation in the ocean shipping industry in recent years and the growth of carrier alliances has impeded competition and tightened capacity. So that's why RELA's behind it. Another strong voice of support uh, for the bill came from the American Trucking Associations. Uh, so they said that legislation is needed to end what they call abusive practices uh, imposed on American trucking companies at US maritime ports by the ocean carriers, which they pointed out are largely foreign owned. So specifically the trucking industry, uh, they said they seek what they called, quote, relief from excessive detention and demurrage charges. So those are the fees that are levied on motor carriers uh, by ocean carriers or marine terminal operators um, when the containers don't move within a certain number of days. Uh, but the ATA says that some of those delays are actually typically caused by uh, the carriers and the ports uh, procedures themselves. So, uh, But the complaint about the high detention and demerge charges was echoed by several other retailer and industry groups. So that there's really a lot of pain on that point there. And it adds up to a lot of support from the private sector. Um, and as we mentioned, the bill passed by a pretty heavy margin, so it appears to be heading into the Senate with a lot of momentum. Right, so we'll see what the Senate does with it now for the bill. Thanks, Ben. Yep. And Victoria, you wrote this week about the continuing growth of the logistics industry in November. Can you give us the details? Absolutely, Dave, and this is uh, much along the same theme we've been talking about. Um, so economic activity in the logistics industry grew again in November, reflecting strong demand for transportation and warehousing services as peak holiday shipping season got underway. And uh, this is based on data from the Logistics Managers Index Report, or LMI, which came out on Tuesday. Uh, just to remind our, our listeners, the LMI is a monthly report that gauges economic activity in the industry, and it's based on a survey of logistics industry professionals each month. So essentially, the LMI um, remained in, in strong growth territory. It registered 73.4 in November, which is up slightly from October's reading of 72.6, and up uh, something like nearly three points compared to a year ago. Uh, the index has been above the 70-point mark for the past 10 months, and that indicates a strong run of growth across the industry or you know, strong demand for services, according to the researchers. 
I should note that an LMI reading above 50 indicates expansion and below 50 indicates contraction. So there you can see 70 is obviously a really high, um, a really high level. Um, what characterized the uh, report this month was ongoing tight capacity, higher prices, and a little bit faster movement of goods through the channel. Um, according to uh, Zach Rogers, who's one of the LMI researchers, he's from um, Colorado State University, and I spoke to him earlier this month. Um, as, as he's been indicating for the last few months, he said the current conditions are expect, expected to linger into the new year, and there are really a uh, few signs of relief on the horizon. So, Victoria, you mentioned that the goods are moving faster through the channel. Is that right? Uh, yeah, and the researchers qualified that with some data based on upstream versus downstream activity. So upstream businesses includes wholesalers and distributors, um, you know, entities that are a little further removed from consumers. Downstream are retailers and merchants. Um, so the researchers explained that in November, large retailers in particular, your Targets and Walmarts, for example, spent really heavily to move inventory from docks and warehouses to their store shelves and fulfillment centers. And they, use, they determined this by um, sort of looking at um, retail inventory levels. They were nearly 11 points higher than their upstream counterparts during the month. And that was a reverse from what they saw in October when inventory levels upstream were more than 10 points higher than downstream. So essentially they saw a big shift, really a flip in inventory moving upstream to downstream. And they saw similar movement in warehousing and transportation metrics as well. And that indicates that goods were moving at a, a slightly high, or at a higher clip than they had in the past. This doesn't mean that the supply chain backlogs we've been seeing were unstuck in November, as you know we've just discussed earlier here. Um, so some large retailers likely had more inventory available than consumers may have thought would be there heading into November, but smaller retailers were not in the same boat at all. Um, and Rogers explained that many of your um, mall type retailers, you know, your Gaps, Abercrombie and Fitch, those types of companies, as well as mom and pop retailers, were still really challenged to move goods through the channel and are dealing with inventory shortages um, as a result. Uh, they also pointed out that companies in the appliance and electronics industries were similarly affected, and that possibly reflects the ongoing semiconductor shortage we're seeing, which is obviously still um, a big problem. So that's what uh, the LMI researchers saw in November. And again, it looks like um, conditions will continue into the new year. Yeah, it does seem like it will be more of the same for some time to come. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thank you, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights from the news this week. Always glad to do it. Yes, glad to be here, Dave. Thanks. And again, our thanks to Glenn Ritchie of Auburn University for being our guest today. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of subscribing, we encourage you to check out our new 11-part limited podcast series from CSEMP's Supply Chain Quarterly on the top 10 supply chain threats. This week, we address the failure to digitize. And in following weeks, we'll have devoted segments to other critical supply chain functions you can search for your favorite podcast platform for the top 10 supply chain threats to subscribe or to listen to past episodes. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. 
Aptian routing and scheduling supports logistics and delivery fulfillment operations with the tools needed to optimize resources, automate route planning and proof of delivery processes, and drive savings of up to 30%. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service, reduce costs, and drive growth. Aptian routing and scheduling can help. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we'll discuss micro-fulfillment, so be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.